0: As we come now before the very Word of God, would you turn in your Bibles to read along with me, if you'd like, to Genesis in chapter 1. I'll read in just a moment from Genesis chapter 1, but before we read, would you please pray with me, Lord and Father, we've just sung that your Spirit would illumine us. That is, that you would bring light to our eyes so that we can see the gold that is here in your word. You've also told us that, that those who hear your word and understand it will bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. We, we want that. So would you make our hearts and minds into good soil to plant the seed of your word down deep in us? Prepare us now to hear to receive and to bear fruit in these things. Uh, this we ask in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. This is Genesis in chapter 1, I'll begin here in verse 26 and read through the end of the chapter. It will sound familiar if you were here last week, we'll focus uh, as we read on verse 28, so if you want to zoom in as we get to that part, but I want to read the entirety of this. So this is Genesis in chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, And over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, he was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the Word of God. Now, today, we're going to take up and take a much closer look at the phrase that God says to man in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply. That's our subject today, be fruitful and multiply. Today also just happens to be Father's Day. And uh, this is probably about as close to a Father's Day sermon as we're ever likely to get. Uh, you know, I, I didn't choose this text for today. It's just part of our ongoing through through Genesis. We know our Sunday worship doesn't follow natu- n- national cultural holidays. Uh, so, so you don't hear from me a, a New Year's Day sermon or an Independence Day sermon or, or a Veterans Day sermon. We, we love those things. We, we pray for those sorts of things with all their joys and trials. They're they're part of our worship of God, but the calendar doesn't dictate our worship. We want our worship to be primarily guided by God and his word. That's the reason why uh, we don't skip around in the scripture. uh, For me to look at uh, some new topic to speak on, I I don't decide those things. I just kind of pick a book and we we go our our way through it. We move through a text with the hope that, the prayer that God's word will speak to us. That God will speak to us. And that we will submit to whatever we hear here. Now, I had actually anticipated that today I would be into chapter two, because I read this text already last week. I thought today was going to be on the Sabbath day uh, of the seventh day of rest, and, and I realized that I would have to wait until later for that because as I was prepping for this text the last time, I realized that the text wasn't quite done There was some other very significant major theme in here. It had more to say to us. So last week, if you were here, we looked at how God has created man in his image. That God's created man in his image. And that means, at least in large part, that every human... Not just the original humans, not just some special humans, but every human is is made in God's image and given dominion over the earth. That is that we are to rule and reign as God rules and reigns. To rule with knowledge and righteousness and holiness. That, That God has made us into his royal court of kings and queens over the earth a significant part of that dominion that God has given to us, a significant part of that and connected to it is this idea that we would be fruitful and multiply. This fruitfulness is not just about plants and apples and berries and seeds, although that's a good thing as well. This, this word, phrase, be fruitful and multiply specifically means that man is to produce kids that we're to have offspring. So our creator has made us into procreators, that we are makers of life as God is a maker of life, that God the Father has made man to be fathers as well. Having said that, I should mention that this is uh, not just or mainly even a text for dads. It's not even just a text for moms and dads. It's not a parenting text. This is for all people. This matters for all mankind, whether you're old or young, whether you're male or female, whether you have kids now or later or never. This matters for us. So our big question today, then, is what does it mean To be fruitful and multiply. In the rest of our time, I want to give just five observations about this phrase be fruitful and multiply. Let's begin with the first one. First observation Be fruitful and multiply is a command from God, it's a command from God. If you look in there, verse 28, after a little addendum at the front, the phrase begins with the words, and God said. And in this opening chapter of Genesis, this is a mark of what what theologians call in fancy terms a fiat, a command of creation. So there's a series of commands, and God said, and each one of them is followed by some version of the words, and it was so. And God said, let there be light. And it was so. And God said, let the waters gather. And it was so. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And it was so. There is an unflinching obedience of the creation to God. So now when we hear, and God said, be fruitful and multiply, We expect to see a similar sort of obedience to that command that it will be so. This approach to fruitfulness, to childbearing, is very different from the way culture views childbearing these days. Our culture sees childbearing not as a command but as a choice. Kids are something we can either choose or not choose, sort of like a car or a pair of shoes or the type of toothpaste we might use, which is what led a a modern theologian to observe that birth in our era is not life-threatening, it's lifestyle-threatening. You know, this, this is a command of God And the fact that there's a command to be fruitful and multiply, it doesn't mean there's no decision whatsoever. In childbearing, We should be clear about that. There's a good amount of wisdom here. We might consider factors of health, perhaps, or age, or finances. Maybe you could think of others. But as we weigh these sorts of factors, we need to be honest enough with ourselves to take a hard look at whether our reasons for or not childbearing, those reasons, whether they're mainly self-serving or God-serving in submission to him. You know, that doesn't mean there's a clear answer all the time, necessarily. Jesus, for example, speaks about certain people Ones in a way that he speaks honorably of them, certain people, and Jesus says, these people have made themselves eunuchs. That is, there has been some physiological adjustment that has unintentionally made them unable to have biological children. These people made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom, Jesus says, And in that case, there's a decision here not to have kids. But the important point in Jesus' words is not just that they don't have kids, it's the reason for their decision. They do this for the sake of the kingdom, he says. That these people are able to minister in some unique way because of that position. Their reason for not having kids is, is not so I'll have more freedom to travel. The reason is not, so I'll have a little extra income. The reason is not, well, because kids are just messy. The reason is not, well, I'm not good with kids. I'm not really a kid person. Each of those reasons basically boils down to our own sinfulness. That I want things a certain way, think they ought to be a certain way, so I'm just going to tell God no to his command. To be fruitful and multiply is not mainly a choice to decide. It is a command to discern. That command pushes on, well, a lot of things. A lot of hot topics are connected to this. We don't have a time to unpack them, but I will mention them that being fruitful and multiply bumps up against maybe some ideas we might have about birth control, ideas we might have about abortion, about things like casual sex or homosexual relationships. It's becoming more and more common to divorce the physical act of sex from one of its primarily, primary natural intentions from God, that is to produce children, to be fruitful and multiply. And, and while many people might view marriage and kids as entirely separate things that we can kind of take separately, the Bible holds them both together as part of God's command. That's the first observation. This is a command from God. Here's the second observation. Be fruitful and multiply. This command is collective. It's collective. So it starts out and God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply." And God said to them. We notice that this command to be fruitful and multiply is impossible to fulfill alone as an individual. Humans don't reproduce asexually with just one person. It takes two to tango, so the saying goes. Uh, And this is even bigger than just about two people. This is a command that's to extend to all all humanity. That is, it's a command that we, we collectively fulfill which means that every single individual is part of this fulfillment, even though we all don't engage in its fulfillment in the exact same way. I should note that Jesus was single, lifelong bachelor, never married, never had kids, and Jesus was sinless, He was the only man in all of history who perfectly obeyed God the Father. So Jesus was childless, and yet he was not disobedient to this creation command. Jesus was part of being fruitful and multiplying. We know that some some people are childless, because of circumstances that are beyond their control. Some people face infertility, miscarriage. Some never have the occasion to marry. And each of these can be very, very painful experiences. It can make people feel like a failure or that they're somehow less than other people who do have kids. So some are are childless for circumstances outside of their control. Other people are childless intentionally, and that may be holy as well. Jesus willfully, wisely chose a life of singleness and celibacy and a life with no children. Either way, We are all still part of this collective command to be fruitful and multiply. So, this is not just telling us to be baby machines. Crank out more bodies to fill this new and empty world that God just made. We've got lots of space, we've got to fill it up. This is not just a command to have kids, it's to grow kids. That's why the scripture here doesn't just use birth language, language, it uses the language of fruitfulness. There's a growth component in this. So we can grow fruit in lots of ways, grow fruit by way of adoption, foster, mentoring, teaching, discipling, becoming aunts and uncles, all those sorts of things. We know a real dad, for example. A real dad doesn't just deposit his seed and then take off or check out. A real dad is one who grows his seed into a fruitful tree. And so if, we, if we're ones who have biological children, we should pursue that growth if we have our own kids. But you don't have to have your own biological children to be fruitful as part of this command. The Apostle Paul was also single, celibate, and childless throughout his life. And yet he still pursued this collective mission of fruitfulness. That's why we hear him talk about both Titus and Timothy. He speaks to them as my true child in the faith. This is part of our collective fruitfulness. So that's the second. This is a collective command. Here's the third observation. This command is about filling. It's filling. Verse 28, And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So filling, we've observed already that there's no way Adam and Eve could or were expected to fulfill this command by themselves. It's similar to the call to dominion, by the way. Adam and Eve are not able to master everything. They didn't have, couldn't have mastery over every single cow, every single potato, and dolphin, and oak tree, and art, and science, and brick, and craft. This is a, a clearly a collective command that was meant to be fulfilled over humanity over the course of a very long time. So, filling now in this context of fruitfulness, filling is moving towards some measure of completion, of satisfaction. That's what filling is about. So when I eat a meal and I say, I'm full, I don't want to actually say that I'm literally full, that my stomach cannot physically put one more thing in or it's going to pop back out. Don't want to say I'm stuffed. I'm full means I am satisfied. So being fruitful and multiplying in a way that is filling does not mean we have to have the maximum number of kids that we possibly can, that that we're just going to keep reproducing until kids are spilling out of the windows like some sort of big clown car that we're all stuffed into. There's a similar command uh, back in, in day five in, in verse 22 where God calls the birds and the fish to, 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 to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the sky and the seas. Now imagine if the birds thought that that meant this literally, that they were literally to fill, to max out the skies. Picture that. That would not be a mark of goodness if the birds filled the skies. That's a mark of an Alfred Hitchcock movie, and which is the opposite of a good thing. Okay? Now in saying all this, I wanna be clear that families with lots of kids may be a good thing. You know, it's common these days to sort of gawk or scoff at people with large families, which now means any family with more than two or three kids is is considered large. We don't want to push that down as if that's something silly or shameful. It's not. But we also don't want to lift that up as the paradigm of the way a good family ought to be. Fullness does not mean bigger is better. That's not what this is about. There's a modern uh, movement called the the quiverful movement. Have you heard of this? Quiver as in, you know, the the holder of arrows that people often wear on their back or other places. The quiverful movement teaches that, that you ought to have as many kids as humanly possible. That that you fill your quiver full of these arrows of your of your children, and the adherents to these to this movement sometimes uh, call themselves Christian, although often not always, but often uh, the adherents are more like a cult than Christianity. They end up in scandal documentaries on Netflix and such, uh, but they but they make a big deal about this command: be fruitful and multiply. And they also use some language from other parts of the scripture, like uh, in Psalm. 127. Here's where the quiverful language comes from. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So blessed is the man who fills his quiver with with these children. Now people who use this, what they get right about these sort of things is the understanding that, that children are good. Children are a gift from God, a blessing, which we'll talk about in a moment. What they get wrong is that this quiver that's supposed to be full, that fill means you have to have the maximum number. They miss that the filling is about completeness. The scriptures never gives us a particular number or quota of children that we're supposed to have. Some families may have two. Some might have 12. Some might have 20. Some might have zero. And can still be full. So when Jesus and the Apostle Paul were able to exercise holy wisdom in discerning for themselves that they were not to marry, that they were to remain single and childless, then we assume there can be a similar sort of wise discernment for married couples as well. To submit before God, but to prayerfully determine when our families are full. And for those who say, well, the earth," It's too full already. You know, we've got 8 billion people and counting. The earth is already overpopulated. You know, I'll just say that's not even a concern of the Bible, uh, that that we're going to run out of space on our planet. We know that overcrowding does occur in some places, but when overcrowding of cities occurs, that's not because there's a problem of being fruitful and multiply. That's because there's a problem of dominion, that areas have have failed to order resources well to make themselves economically sustainable so that the people can flourish in the midst of their fullness. But the call is to be filling. That's the third. Fourth observation. This call to be fruitful and multiply is temporal. Temporal. That is, it is for a certain period of time. It's a long period of time, but it's a limited period of time. We can't see this directly from this text, but if we were to track the phrase, be fruitful and multiply, we'd see it a number of times as we march our way through the Bible. And we would see that it extends far past the Garden of Eden, far past Adam and Eve's fall into sin that we're now all under. So so be fruitful and multiply is reemphasized, called again after the flood, that Noah and the animals are to be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. It then continues on as part of God's covenant with Abraham that he would be fruitful and multiply. And that covenant carries on then to his sons Isaac and Jacob and to be fruitful and multiply. To be fruitful and multiply is part of the strength that the Israelites have in Egypt prior to their enslavement by the Pharaoh. It's, it's an expression upon the Israelites as they enter into the promised land, that they're fruitful and they multiply. And after they're exiled, when they're restored again, They'd been reduced to a little remnant as a result of their disobedience, but now in their restoration, they are fruitful and multiply again. We see this all the way through the Old Testament, and then when we arrive in the New Testament, we notice that to be fruitful and multiply isn't a big emphasis. It doesn't mean the command is negated, or no longer applies, it's still a creation ordinance that's upon all of us, but this, this command to be fruitful and multiply is folded into, over, interwoven with God's uh, command in the Great Commission, that we are multiplying mainly by making disciples of all nations, that's our own children and also the nations around us, rather than just making children of one nation. There's still a call to be fruitful and multiply in some sense. It's just, well, remolded. Until the final pages of history. And when we reach the last pages of the Bible, after the final defeat of Satan, after the judgment of all mankind at the great white throne, after the, the casting of death and Hades and all the wicked who are not in Jesus into the lake of fire, after all of that in the renewed creation at the new heavens and new earth, there is no call to be fruitful and multiply. It seems that the call then is done. Complete. There's just whispers of this, but we hear from Jesus back in Matthew. Jesus says, in the resurrection, that is, in the final resurrection, not just immediately after we die spiritually, but the final resurrection, the bodily resurrection of all of those who've put faith in Jesus, in that time, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage, he says. And in that sense, we'll be like the angels. We don't marry. This does not mean that we've lost marriage. So if you're married now and you love your spouse, don't worry, nothing's lost. It doesn't mean we're left out of marriage. So if you're single now and you're afraid you're not gonna be part of the married people's club in the new heavens and new earth, don't worry. It's just that in the resurrection, the final resurrection, believers relate to each other in a way that is greater than marriage. It is more, not less. So the absence of marriage in the new heavens and new earth is good news. It's not bad. We trust that Jesus is good and wise and will give us what is best. It's just an example of when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So in the new heavens and new earth, there's no marriage and there's no Human reproduction. I know that's hard to imagine, but it seems as if this creation command to dominion, which we talked about last time, that dominion, that rule and reign still continues. We are still to rule and reign with God forever, but the creation command to be fruitful and multiply ceases. There's a sense in which the task is done. has been successfully completed, that the earth is filled. Not because there's no room left. We need a little elbow room to jostle around. But it's because we've reached the place of completion and abundance. The full number of all those whom God has chosen before the foundation of the world are now here. One final point. Here's the fifth and final one for us. This command to be fruitful and multiply is a blessing. I saved this one to the end because I think it's the most important, the most clear in the text. It's a blessing. Verse 28 is And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Being fruitful and multiply is part of a blessing. The Bible consistently speaks of kids as a fruitful blessing, as a frequent source of joy. My favorite uh, verse about this is that grandchildren are the crown of the aged. I love that line. It's in Proverbs. And, And for all of us who have kids or raise kids or teach kids and mentor kids and disciple kids, boy, that's really true, isn't it? That kids are a blessing Most of the time, right? Most of the time, you know, we, we love our kids. Not just, I'm just talking, not just talking about me. We, we all, we love our kids with all our heart and soul. Would not trade our kids for the world. Boy, it's going to hitch in me a little bit. Love my girls. (laughs) Love them. And (laughs) kids are a challenge, Raising kids is one of the most difficult jobs on the planet. You know, uh, there's all sorts of reasons for this. I don't need to tell you stories, but just as I was prepping this very part of the sermon, my kids interrupted me in the office to show me a wasp nest that they found. What a blessing. You know, and dads and moms, you hear from them at various points. I just need a moment of space, peace, peace just need a moment. Or, if you're an introverted person, all of this talk about kids, 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 filling the earth, fill the earth, oh my goodness, a room of two people feels like too many to me. Give me a little privacy and leave me alone, thank you very much. So all of this might lead us to wonder, how exactly is it that to be fruitful and multiply is a blessing? It can be hard sometimes to see the blessing of a thing until it's gone. You know, some of us know all too well that, that empty rooms are often louder than noisy rooms. So it is a blessing in that sense whether we feel it or not, but whether you like to be around lots of people, whether you like big groups, like lots of kids, there is still a deeper blessing from God here. This command to be fruitful and multiply requires me to reorient myself toward the next generation. It's woven into the original commands of God that we would not be able to just fixate on ourselves, expend all my resources upon myself, cash out all my money for myself. We have to set our sights to prepare and care for the ones who come after us, that we're making, increasing a world for them, That would be a little better than the way that we found it. And in that sense, God's blessing grows through us. We know the good of the Garden of Eden is not just that I get everything I ever wanted or dreamed, it's that I give to the garden. I'm increasing, fostering its abundance, increasing fruitfulness for the ones around me, and they're doing the same. Obedience to to being fruitful and multiplied doesn't mean we're just making more residents on the earth, that we're called to fill it with the kind of people who are self-sacrificing and others serving That's what makes us worshipers of God, even. That we're putting him really at the center of all things, not ourselves. God blessed us and created us like this from the beginning, and he intends to redeem that blessing work in us now. That is that Jesus forgave, cleansed, saved us, all who are in faith from the selfishness of our sin, and his Holy Spirit is now teaching us, guiding us to look outside of ourselves. So now, go and obey the Lord's good command. Be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. Pray with me. Lord, would you show us the good and holy ways in this? Help us to be wise and discerning and faithful. To be humble as we raise our own kids or or help others raise their children, that we would create a thriving community Help us to look to you for the strength and holiness and grace to do this, that you would be honored in all things and that your blessing would, cre- would increase in and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.